Welcome to Tech on Earth, a podcast aimed at bringing a practical lens to tech ethics around the world. I'm Elizabeth Ranieris, founding director of the Notre Dame IBM Technology Ethics Lab at the University of Notre Dame. Today, I am so pleased to be joined by Father Paolo Benanti, a Franciscan monk and professor of moral theology, bioethics, and neuroethics at the Pontifical Academy for Life in Rome, Italy. Father Benanti, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here. Great. So I'd like to begin this conversation, uh, as I often do on this podcast, with your journey to this conversation. So tell us, how did you come to study technology ethics and what drew your interest to this topic in the first place? Well, uh, before I was a monk, uh, I was a, a student at the university in mechanical engineer. After my college degree, I would like to, to understand the world. And well, engineer looks like a subject that can help us to understand the world. But to be really honest, probably I have to follow the suggestion of my philosophy professor that told me that I was more, much more useful with philosophy more than engineer. But to make it short, a long story after... After three years, four years of mechanical engineer, I, I find myself like if something was missing in my life. I have a good scheme to understand, to, 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 to simply approach the world, but still something was missing. Well, that, uh, that was the point in which I start to find, uh, to, to look for, for something that was more broader than not simple a job. And at the end, I joined the order, the Franciscan order. Uh, as a Franciscan, I was uh, invited to continue my, my study, and, I, and then I, I do theology and philosophy, and I make uh, moral theology and ethics, and at the end of STL, I apply for a PhD, and the, the, for the PhD, I would simply like to make a bridge, a connection between what, uh, what I was before and what I am now. And this is the reason why I start to have as a topic technology and ethics of technology. Uh, the subject of my, of my PhD dissertation was the cyborg, the junction between the human body and technology in the perspective of the human enhancement that could be cognitive or simple muscular or something like that. Part of my PhD dissertation was made at Georgetown University because I, I get a grant from Georgetown and so I, I went to the States to, to make this dissertation. I was back to Rome and I defended it at Pontifical University Gregoriana. And this is, was my entry point to ethics of technology. So here I am trying to decode AI as a way to, to show a displacement of power inside society. I, I, it's a really fascinating journey. I want to contextualize this in the context of a book um, you wrote where you describe something you called the techno-human condition. Can you tell us what you mean by that and how it relates to the ethics of AI and other technologies? Well, technology is one of the phase of being a human. We know that human beings live in some place on the earth, on the earth because we found traits of technology. One of the oldest technology that we was able to trace was the place where we have the, the bearing of, of human beings, where the casket uh, and the remains of human beings are displaced. The other animals simple don't do that. They don't have symmetry. We leave trace of our past like in technology like that. Or when you have painting in the cave, 
So, or when we have some kind of tools made with stones. So technology is something that it's always been with human beings. But what is technology? You know, we have philosophers that simply say that because we are lacking of ability, we are in the needing to have some kind of technology. We cannot fly like a bird. We cannot run like a leopard. We cannot uh, jump uh, like a frog. And so we develop car, airplane, and things like that. Well, this vision, it's really controversial. In which sense? That if we lack something, in which way we can develop something more of what we lack? Uh, and from that, I start uh, an inquiry on what does it mean to be human and what is the role of technology? Well, be back to a really common technology, pencil and a notebook. It's something that is for our memory, of course. But if we look at, at an elephant, the elephant is really well known to have a huge memory. Uh, one of the funniest experiences that I did as a Franciscan was going to the island of Sri Lanka, where our friars has a, a more than one house. And during the journey, I was to the elephant orphanage, the elephant that remain alone when they are kids during the civil war. So because the elephant is so important uh, animal in Sri Lankan community, they keep this orphanage. And I, uh, I, I give uh, milk to a young elephant. It was really young, but was big like a little car, like little European car. And he was able to, to finish three gallons of milk in a few seconds. It's an impressive uh, experience. I can, I, can, I can swear on that. But what happened is the elephant will never forget what I did for him. Uh, Sri Lanka is full of story of this huge elephant that at one point are like crazy running uh, between people just to give a kiss with the huge nose to people that make something good to them. We are not like the elephant. We can forget. If I don't take notes of what I have to do or which kind of stuff I have to buy for my monastery, my brothers probably do not eat because I forget. Well, so my human condition, it's different from the elephant condition. An elephant has in his biology all the things that he need to live as an elephant. My condition is spiritual, and my spiritual condition is more than my biological condition. So if we look at technology, we are looking at an excedency of the human beings on biology. When we see an artificial intelligence, when we see alpha zero that is, alpha zero that is able to defeat someone else in a game, we are looking at the prodigy of a human being that is not enough to himself that is an exceedency of his own nature. This is techno-human condition. And that is impressive that the machine that we are building now is an expression of this kind of condition. So it's not a treat to the human being, but it's a huge possibility to better understand ourselves and reality. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, on the spiritual condition, you know, obviously you're Franciscan, you're part of the Pontifical Academy, the Vatican. How does your religious background and training inform your view on technology ethics? What are maybe some of the, the key themes or values that come up for you? I, I would like to say in a multiple way. Mm. Uh, as, a, as a Christian Catholic, believing that we are creatures made by God, that means that everything that we are is, a, is a in the desire of God. 
So our reason, our ability to understand, our ability to project and do things are not just uh, an accident. It's something that are given us to be to take care and to allow the land, the promised land, to, to become fruitful. So it's something that we can use to produce much more wellness for everyone. As a Franciscan, you know, Franciscan was always connected with the city and with the country, with the Middle Age. One Franciscan was the one that simply invented the way to take, uh, to make the accountant with two columns, red and black. So actually, let me confess that. If we call Black Friday, Black Friday is because it's the first day in a year in which the fiscal earning of a store moved to, from red, passive, to black, active. So last Black Friday was actually Franciscan connected. So we was really present as Franciscan on what happened inside society. And so this positive view of the ability of technology, this idea of being present as a Franciscan inside the society, plus one more thing, I'm Franciscan of TOR, third order regular. Well, one of my grand-grandfather, one of my uh, friars in the, mid in the Middle Age was Raimondo Luyo. Raimondo Luyo was the inventor of the logic that was behind Le Leibniz logic, that is behind computer, that is behind artificial intelligence. So more than one direction, if you would like to find connection, of course, I'm not, uh, this is not behind my decision, as I told you before, of st studying this stuff. But I feel myself really in the right place, looking at the relative that I have in my order. Yeah, that's great. And, and building on the sort of religious and theological foundations, um, approximately two years ago, you were part of uh, the signing of a document known as the Rome Call, um, signed by the Vatican and other signatories um, in, in February of 2020 in Rome. Can you tell us about what the Rome Call is, how it came about, how it relates to technology ethics? Actually. AI technologies are technologies that could simply surrogate the human beings. And we, have, we could have some machine that has the agency to take action without the human beings. And that produces a lot of issues that I'm sure you, you will drive through during this podcast series. So the ethics of AI is simple. The idea that we would like to give a sort of guardrail, ethical guardrail, to keep this machine inside the street that we would like to produce. Well, there is this idea to build up a square where different voices can find together to try to define some principle to develop AI. This is what behind the wrong call. So basically, if you go in Silicon Valley, you can... Uh, hear from a lot of programmers that being in Silicon Valley today, it's like to be in Florence during the Renaissance. There is a lot of idea of something new that they are producing. Try to write Renaissance with capital AI in the middle. So if the Renaissance was the time when we discover again the centrality of the human beings, Renaissance in AI means to start to develop an AI system that is human-centered, that has the human beings as the core and as the ends. So it's not an evolutionary fight between Homo sapiens versus Machina sapiens. 
but could be the start of a new alliance in which homo plus machina can produce a new way to discover drugs, to treat uh, sickness, to have a better just society, and so on. Ron Cole tried to be the blueprint of this new renaissance. And what, what was really surprising was that company, really big company, like IBM, like Microsoft, international organization, like FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization of United Nations, that religions find them together to say human beings has to be the center. And it's much more impressive that what we sign with IBM, Microsoft, FIO, Italian government, the presence of the president of European parliament in 2020 in Rome, now these things would like to be signed by two new religions, Hebrews and Muslim in Abu Dhabi in May 2022. So the idea of having a shared position, looking at the future, looking at the innovation presented by artificial intelligence is something that it was really impressive, you know? Probably we cannot find an agreement if we discuss about politics, if we discuss about society, if we discuss about tax and things like that. But looking at the present and the future of the younger, of the most fragile people, we found all together on the sign side of the the pond. We would like to see a better future for the next generation. So wrong call for AI ethics is simple, a series of principles that uh, voluntarily some government and institution and tech company would like to uh, put inside their own product. Thank you. Uh, It's a very comprehensive overview. I noticed a really interesting term. I believe it's used in the Rome call, but also I've seen in your work and research, the term I believe is algorithics. What is algorithics? How is this different from AI ethics or or tech ethics more generally? Why did you use that framing? Well, you know, ethics is... uh, really core part of the human action, uh, because we are not uh, instinct-driven. We are uh, we have a base of freedom. Uh, this morning, every one of us can choose, uh, forgive me my Italian bias, between a cappuccino or a cafe, or if you like, a flat, flat white. <laughs> this new, not really Italian uh, innovation with milk. Well, uh, forgive my joke. Well, this is connected to the freedom that every one of us has. Well, machine is a deterministic things. And ethics is of human beings. But now, if machine has an agency, if machine uh, has some degrees of freedom, if a machine can give you or deny to you to borrow money from a bank, if a machine can give or deny you some kind of constitutional right, like in the trial in the tribunal, well, this machine has not only to execute a code, it's also to understand human produce ethical value. But these ethical values, this moral law now has to be computable in an algorithmical way has to be, if you allow me to express in in this way, understandable by the machine. 
algorithms is this new chapter of this old journey of the human beings on the earth that is traced in ethics. Every time that we face uh, a, some kind of dilemma, we produce a new chapter of ethics. Well, algorithms is a new chapter of computer dilemma, but now this chapter is produced by human being, but now is executable by a machine. It's written also in an algorithmical way, so the machine could stitch to the ethical directive. And for, to do that, we produce this new word that is algorithms that actually became really famous, not because I used for first, but because also Pope Francis using one of his speech. And that made me lucky in, in some ways so because I was connected to a word that the Pope liked to describe what, could, what we could understand as a mission from engineer. Yeah, it's a really interesting evolution, as you say, a sort of new chapter, a new phase of implementing and operationalizing AI ethics. Um, to get more practical on that, I was hoping you could maybe give us one or two examples from, I don't know, a specific industry or sector or, or a specific technology about how you might apply this idea of algorithms. In, in practice. Okay, let, let's start from the most simple one. Okay, the most simple one, we can imagine an autonomous car. Okay, and if I jump in the car, or you jump in the car, we are also emotional beings. So the way in which the car drive could be really boring for me, that I'm used to the really chaotic Roman traffic, or it could be really horrific to you. <laughs> so, because the human beings is the value part of the autonomous car, the, 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 the way in which the car drives has not only be safe, has not only to be efficient, has also to be tailored for the human side, for the emotion of the human passenger. That could be a really low level of algorithms. Or we can, could also imagine some more complex, for example, level of algorithms. AI works on data and data set, data set are the collection that can give a trustable or not trustable AI prediction. Well, we can simply have an oracular sentences, yes or no, given by the machine, or we could produce a sort of explainable sentence that try to justify something. So imagine, imagine that I go to a bank and I ask to borrow money, 5,000 bucks. Well, I could have an oracular sentence, yes or no, or I could have yes, and it's good, or no, and the machine has to produce a sort of uh, causative justification of no. So if the justification is simple in data and the machine produces a table with 5,000 data sets, this is useless for me. Probably I cannot understand. But if the machine say no, but if you have 2,000 in your bank account, that could be yes. That gives me a parameter in which I can say or I can see if there is a bias or an error. So for example, I have 2,500. There is an error in the data. I go to the director and say, please check the data again. Or suppose that the machine say, may I borrow 5,000 bucks? No, but if your zip code was, well, that's a bias. 
And I can say, look, there is a bias inside the data. So the second level of algorithms, it's simple make transparent for the human beings when an automatic decision is made on him, if there are, or if could be some kind of bias that make the decision unfair. Then let's go to a third level of algorithms. Supposing that we apply that to a medical device. In this medical device, we could have two things. We could have some kind of uh, operational boundaries that are given by the algorithmics. So suppose that we have an insulin machine that gives you the insulin depending on some kind of vitals that the sensor read on your body. Well, should the machine operate 100% of time on itself, we can imagine to give inside the algorithm a sort of statistical library that give a percentage to the machine of confidence on the kind of data that the machine is working. When the percentage of the confidence drop below a threshold, the machine connect a real doctor. In this form, algorithms become something that gives to the machine a sort of sense of uncertainty. And with uncertainty, when the machine is not statistical enough sure of what it's doing, human beings come in action, and so on. So we can have a lot of different uh, situations in which we can apply or develop a shared algorithms. But I give you three examples in which in one was the human beings, the ethical part. In another one is the judgment on human beings that is the problem and not the criteria of judgment. In the third example, it's algorithmics ethics in the sense that give to the machine the ability to ponderate, to, to have a measurement of confidence on what the algorithm are indicating to the machine. Uh, why this? Uh, the answer is really old, you know, because uh, Socrates, one of the father of ethics, say, I know that I don't know. Well, if you are something to Google, Google never tell you, I don't know. Always there is an answer for the algorithms. And so the machine will always give an answer. The problem is the quality of answer. Algorithms is something that bridge numerical values with ethical values. And it's really interesting as well, very vivid examples. For me, what that conjures up is also this difference between information and moving from an information age to wisdom and the ability to interject more human wisdom into computational processes. On that note, and just in the vein of starting to wrap up here, although we could talk for days, <laughs> um, I want to just turn to the role of universities and educational institutions, since we're both situated in, in the academy to think about how we can prepare students to become the future stewards of these technologies and to have this ethical human-centered perspective uh, embodied in algorithms and the Rome call and, and the work that you've been doing. What are your thoughts there? Well, first of all, education is one of the core points of the Rome call for AI ethics. That means that asking ourselves what the education can do, it's something that put ourselves in a line in which the different subjects that sign the wrong call for ethics find themselves. We need a new generation of people that is able to have a critical thinking on stuff. 
So the first meanings is to produce ethical critical thinking. Well, an algorithm is a linear process in which give an input, I got an output. Ethical process is never so linear. It's always a circular process uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, when I try to answer to the question what I should do, the first line is I, what with my story, with my identity. And the last line, it's again I, because what I, sh I should do is something that I could do. I cannot do what is impossible for me. Well, because in the machine there is no I, we have to think before. And what the education can do. So le I, let me try with my geek side, you know. <laughs> if you put some code, open code in GitHub, you probably have also a folder that is the folder with documentation. One of the problems with uh, open software is that someone that is developing, for example, AI code for image recognition really don't want that people use that kind of software, software for example, to pilot a drone on an attacking world. So my dream is that we have also an ethical folder in which ethical documentation arise with the production of software. So what the education can do? Open up a culture, the ethical culture, open up the ability to have a critical thinking on which kind of stakeholder, values, principles, and virtues are touched by the piece of innovation that we are producing, and having also the ability to make transparent the ethical constraint, the ethical formal constraint of the software innovation that someone is producing. So it's not a direct impact on the quality of the product, but it's the ability to produce to the creation of a new culture that can give much more values, ethical values, to the innovation that is producing by company and by engineers. Well, Father Venanti, I too look forward to a, a folder for ethical documentation. I think that's a brilliant idea. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time. And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you in the future. Thank you very much. Tech on Earth is a production of the Notre Dame IBM Technology Ethics Lab. For more, visit techethicslab.nd.edu.